opening announcement. The future is here. Tonight's top stories. Crazy craftsmen bomb England. Freedom Fringe founded by angry men. And middle age battle as French go nuts in Walnut War. Now coming up next, the story of the day where scientists try to find out whether dolphins have 20-20 vision. Those are the headlines. Kiss my axe. News bang, taking the musk off the musk of the mask. 1915, and the skies above Norfolk were aflame with the terrifying sight of Zeppelins, named after German sausage inventor Ferdinand von Zeppelin. These rigid airships, first flown in 1910 by a man with too much time on his hands, brought death and destruction to the unsuspecting county. The bombs rained down like deadly confetti onto sleepy Norfolk villages, waking up even the most slumbering of cows. Eyewitnesses described scenes of carnage as zeppelins unleashed their deadly payload. It was like a herd of airborne elephants had let rip, said one shell-shocked farmer, Lionel Cartilage. I've seen more accurate bombing from my granny after a Sunday roast. The war raged on in various regions, but it was Norfolk that bore the brunt of this aerial onslaught. The Germans claimed they were aiming for nearby Ipswich but got lost due to poor map-reading skills and excessive schnapps consumption. As the Zeppelins floated away, leaving death and devastation in their wake, one thing was clear. Norfolk would never be able to order takeaway pizza delivery for, at this rate. Nadine, 1920. In 1920, a group of American civil liberties got together and decided they'd had enough of being trodden on. They formed the ACLU, or the American Civil Liberties Union, not to be confused with the ACDC, an Australian rock band. With a budget of three euro, zero cents million, they set about defending individual rights guaranteed by the US Constitution, which is like our Magna Carta, but with more amendments than a stuck pig. The ACLU was born out of the ashes of the NCLB, the National Civil Liberties Bureau, who spent World War I making sure conscientious objectors didn't have to fight. One such objector, conscientious. Jenkins said, I owe them my life. Well, not literally. That would be creepy. Today, with over 1.8 million members and counting, they continue to fight for everyone's right to party. I mean, freedom. So next time you want to burn a flag or say something offensive in public, thank the ACLU. Just don't do it near their offices or they'll sue your pants off. 14. 19. 1419 and the Hundred Years' War rages on. The Siege of Rouen, a pivotal moment in this endless tug of war between England and France over who gets to wear the Iron Throne of Gallic superiority. The English, led by Henry V, laid siege to the city for over six months because they couldn't find their own way out. Cut off from supplies, the starving French resorted to eating anything they could lay their hands on, including their own dignity. One Norman nobleman, Sir Jean-Paul Le Surrenderer, recalled, The hunger was terrible. We ate our horses first, then our cats and dogs. Eventually we were down to eating the rats and each other. The turning point came when an English spy disguised as a baguette infiltrated the city walls and opened the gates to let in the invaders. The French defenders put up a cheese-like resistance before finally breeing overcome by sheer numbers. 
Rouen fell into English hands who promptly declared it too garlicky and prepared to march on Paris instead. A news bang. The world's only intelligent paperweight. Your resident weatherman, Shakanaka Giles, with the meteorological outlook for tomorrow. Tomorrow's weather forecast, the day begins with a gentle frost, as if Jack Frost has been painting the town white. But don't worry, it'll soon melt away under the warm embrace of the sun. In the Midlands, expect a bit of drizzle, like a naughty child caught in the rain after playing truant. It won't be enough to soak you through, but you might want to pack an umbrella just in case. The north is expecting some snowfall, turning the landscape into a winter wonderland. So, if you're planning a skiing trip or simply want to build a snowman, tomorrow's your day. And finally, down in the south, it'll be a bright and sunny day. Perfect for those who fancy a stroll along the beach or a picnic in the park. In summary then, gentle frost, drizzly midlands, snowy north and sunny south, and that's all the weather. Nineteen fifteen. too. In a tragic turn of events, the skies above Norfolk became a battlefield as Zeppelins, those colossal airships named after German inventor Ferdinand von Zeppelin, rained down terror in World War I. The death toll mounts, painting a grim picture of the global conflict that has already claimed millions of lives. As we delve deeper into this historical abyss, we turn to our correspondent Brian Bastable for further insights. And as I crouch here in the fetid trench, pinned down by a constant hail of enemy fire, I think to myself, what would the Germans be doing now if they didn't have this godforsaken country to invade? A gust of wind has just blown up and scattered your letters all over the mud. The one that came from Norfolk was stained with fresh blood. There goes another volley of gunfire. It sounds like it's coming closer, and still no sign of reinforcements on the horizon. The darkness is closing in around me and all is lost, but for my trusty machine gun which keeps churning out round after round into the howling abyss beyond our barbed wire defences. A couple more hours should see us through till dawn when we can survey our little slice of hell once again with renewed Vigo, an anticipation for what tomorrow may bring to this, our infernal battleground, Yam. As I said earlier today during an interview with Lord Kitchener himself, he dropped by unannounced at my command post. War ain't pretty, but it sure beats sitting around watching daytime TV or listening to politicians drone on about peace talks while they line their pockets with gold coins stolen from widows and orphans back home in Blighty. So here we are then. Soldiers at war. Brothers in arms, comrades united against a common foe who threatens not only our lives, but also our very way of life, democracy itself. God bless us, everyone. Brian Bastable reporting live from no man's land for Newsbang. 2012. 
In a dramatic turn of events, the year 2012 bore witness to the FBI's decisive shutdown of Megupload, a popular file-sharing platform. Offering services in digital storage and viewing, Megupload had amassed a substantial following. However, the FBI, America's domestic intelligence and security service, took action against the site due to alleged violations of various federal crimes. Now, for an in-depth analysis of this development, we turn to our cybercrime correspondent, Ken Shit. Greetings, filthy degenerates. I'm Ken Shit, and tonight we're delving into the dark underbelly of the internet. In a world where cybercrime runs rampant like a digital plague, there was one website that dared to defy the authorities and give power back to the people. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Megupload, an online haven for file storage and sharing that made downloading movies, music, and God knows what else as easy as pie. But these motherfuckers didn't just break the law, they spit in its face like a pack of wild dogs. They raked in millions from their illicit activities while laughing at the law enforcement agencies who tried to bring them down. But guess what? The FBI had had enough. On January 19th, 2012, yes, folks, today is that very day. Those dirty rats at Megaplode finally met their match. The FBI swooped in like a squadron of vultures circling their prey and shut down the site with all the grace of a sledgehammer through glass. They arrested seven people involved with Mega Upload on charges ranging from copyright infringement to racketeering. The internet was left reeling from this blow. It was as if someone had pulled the plug on our collective consciousness. But did Mega Upload go quietly into that good night? Hell no. They fought back with all they had, filing lawsuits against the government for violating their constitutional rights and accusing them of censorship. This is Ken Shit saying that no matter how hard we try to suppress freedom on this digital frontier, it will always find a way to rise up again like a phoenix from its own ashes. So let us raise our glasses tonight in honor of Meg Upload. May they rest in peace, but never be forgotten. Dean, 1920. The year is 1920, and the American Civil Liberties Union has just emerged onto the scene. Founded by the esteemed directors of the National Civil Liberties Bureau, this non-profit organization is set to defend and preserve individual rights as enshrined in the United States Constitution and its laws. With a formidable membership of over 1.8 million and a budget that stretches beyond 3 euro, 0 cents million, they are poised to make an indelible impact on civil liberties protection. Our correspondent Hardeman Pesto is standing by with more details on this remarkable development. Martin, I'm here in 1920s New York City, outside the headquarters of the brand new American Civil Liberties Union, or ACLU as people are calling it. This organization was just founded to protect basic civil rights, and already they're making waves, assisting conscientious objectors and anti-war protesters. Conscientious objectors to what war, Pesto, remind our viewers? Why, World War I, of course. The Great War may have ended, but the fight for liberty never rests. The ACLU has over 1.8 million members and a budget of over 3 euro. 3 euro? I find that hard to believe since the euro currency didn't even exist back then. Well, you know these modern financial instruments, Martin, always fluctuating. I meant to say they have several million dollars at their disposal. 
Several million in 1920 money? They'd be richer than John D. Rockefeller. Why don't we stick to the facts? They're a small non-profit helping war dissenters, and that's about it. Absolutely right, Martin. A humble but noble effort here in the Roaring Twenties. Why, just yesterday I saw ACLU Chairman Roger Baldwin defending a group of women arrested for wearing one-piece bathing suits on the beach. The times they are a-changin'. One-piece bathing suits? Those were around long before the twenties, pesto. I think you've confused your eras again. Why don't you talk to some of those conscientious objectors you mentioned? Find out what rights they still don't have in 1920s America. Well, do, Martin. I see some young chaps in prison stripes over there who look like pacifists to me. I'll ask them what civil liberties they'd like to see protected. I think you better just wrap up your report, Pesto. We're out of time and you clearly don't know what the hell you're talking about. Always a pleasure, Martin. This is Pesto Hardeman reporting live for Newsbank from the Roaring Twenties. Back to you, Martin. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor, the Society for the Perpetuation of Erroneous Historical Information. Stay tuned. Newsbang, taking the flack of fake news and turning it into a feather. And now, Ryder Boff will take you on a frosty adventure to the southern pole of inaccessibility. Brace yourself for tales of snow kiting and icy winds as our fearless explorers conquer the chill. The year is 2007, and the sporting world has witnessed a feat so chilly it could freeze the balls off a brass monkey. A team of four frostbitten fellows, led by Sir Ranulph Fiennes's distant cousin, Sir Lancelot Icicle Trousers, reached the southern pole of inaccessibility using nothing but skis and kites. They've glided into history books with more grace than a swan wearing ice skates. Snow kiting, the winter sport that's sweeping nations colder than my ex-mother-in-law's heart, involves strapping oneself to what is essentially a glorified shopping bag and letting the icy winds whisk you away over snow or ice. It's like Mary Poppins' umbrella jaunt if she were an adrenaline junkie with a penchant for frostbite. Now let me tell you about this pole of inaccessibility research station. Not only does it sound like something out of Jules Verne's back catalogue, but it also boasts temperatures that would make your nipples stand to attention quicker than a sergeant major on parade day. And speaking of cold places, I once had to report from an outdoor curling match in Aberdeen during a blizzard. The stones were sliding slower than continental drift due to the snow build-up, and there I was, commentating through chattering teeth while trying not to turn into rider boff cycle live on air. But back to our intrepid explorers at the pole. They're huddled together for warmth in their little research hut like penguins at happy hour. They've braved conditions so harsh even their beards have icicles hanging from them like stalactites in a cave made entirely of misery. It's been quite the journey for these kite-wielding daredevils. They've shown more pluck than a harpist with cramp as they traverse crevasses and sastrugi that would send lesser men running back to their mummies faster than you can say thermal underwear. As we sit here snug as bugs in rugs next to our radiators, let us raise our tepid cups of tea to these heroes who have gone where no man has gone since 1967. Except perhaps for those Russian chaps who left behind nothing but empty vodka bottles and tails taller than Big Ben. So there you have it folks, adventure on ice that makes Scott of the Antarctic look like he was just nipping out for milk. Until next time when we'll dive head first into another thrilling escapade from yesteryear or perhaps just yesterday. 
your guide to historical motoring conundrums, Polly Beep, on the peculiarities of yesteryear's roads. Warming up the foggy lanes of yesteryear, it's your favourite traffic warden, Polly Beep. So slip on your goggles and take a peek into the time-tinted looking glass. First up, if you're motoring down the B1019 near that place where Slovakia meets Hungary, do brace yourselves for some heart-rending aerodrama. An Antonov An-24 aircraft has gone kaboom in a fiery ballet, marking the deadliest aviation accident in both Slovak and Hungarian history. That's 42 lost souls, my dear friends. Expect snarls and tangled traffic as fellow road warriors pay their respects to this tragic event. Now, hopping over to A348 near the charming Rhode Island coastline, brace for an oily dilemma. A tank barge and tug have just grounded themselves on a beach. Not exactly what we had in mind when we coined beachfront property, is it? This maritime mishap has led to an unfortunate spillage of 828,000 US gallons of home heating oil. Think about it, that's enough to heat every hot dog stand from here to New York City. As you can imagine, this greasy mess has prompted some very necessary detours and cleanups. In other news, today also marks the anniversary of that time a guy named Albert Einstein showed up at Princeton University wearing nothing but cling film underpants and a coat hanger bra, or so they say. Back on topic, keep your wits about you as we sail through these choppy temporal waters. Until next time, don't drive like you just got your licence yesterday, unless it was yesterday. Happy roads ahead. Good news, bang. A reality check for the nose. And in the annals of history, the year 1909 bore witness to a remarkable transaction. David Hanbury sold Island Number 2 in Northern California to his brother John for a mere 10 cents. A curious exchange given that Island Number 2 is now submerged and forms part of the Napa Sonoma Marshes wildlife area. A fascinating tale of real estate, fraternal relations, and a peculiar pricing strategy that leaves one pondering if this was indeed a shrewd investment or an act of sibling generosity. Perkins Stornoway has been delving into the intricacies of this story and joins us now. And so it was, a very curious transaction on this day in 1909. Dogger, slight, occasionally poor. The David Hanbury-John Hanbury deal, 40s, veering southeast, three or four. The terms were zero euro, ten cents. Island number two, Shannon, south, veering southwest. Five or six now submerged, becoming variable, three or four. Biscay, slight, occasionally rough part of the Napa-Sonoma Marshes wildlife area. The Northern California region, Trafalgar West, backing southwest. Four or five is known for the San Francisco Bay area, Greater Sacramento area, Redding area, and Metropolitan Fresno area. Hebrides, occasionally rough. It's also famous for its redwood forests. Lundy, fair, occasionally moderate the illustrious Sierra Nevada. The Central Valley, Cromarty, occasionally moderate, thrived with a 2.4-point gap. In the 2024-01-19 markets, Fastnet good, occasionally poor. 
San Francisco Fair, a unified Northern California rock hall, occasionally rough, became a new hotspot for real estate investment. The Hanbury Brothers, German Bite, Fair, increasingly variable, and the Napa Sonoma Marshes Wildlife Area, Thames Fair, occasionally moderate, will be a major player in the 2024 business world. In conclusion, then, the historic island number two, Viking, slight or moderate, was traded for zero euro, ten cents, for a fascinating insight into the world of 1909 Tune In Tomorrow for another ridiculous episode of Business News. It to do, Sisti. 2001. In a surprising turn of events, the year 2001 saw Singapore's national anthem, Majula Singapura, modulate to the key of F major. Composed by Zubir Said in 1958, the anthem ascended to national status in 1965 and is traditionally sung in Malay, with translations available in English, Mandarin, and Tamil. As we know, national anthems come in all styles, some grandiose and operatic, others straightforward and unpretentious. F major boasts a single flat in its key signature. Now let's delve deeper into this musical shift with our reporter Smithsonian Moss. Now at this point of the evening we welcome listeners on FM who've just joined us. Whoa! News Bang Nation! It's your main music maestro, Smithsonian Moss, here to serenade you with a symphony of national pride? That's right. We're dialing it back to 2001 when Singapore decided their national anthem, Majula Singapura, needed a little remix. And by remix, I mean they changed the key, not the DJ. So picture this. Zubir Said, the Mozart of the Merlion City, pens this banger in 58, and it's been getting the people going ever since. But in 2001, Singapore's like, let's crank this party up a notch, and flips the anthem from G major to F major. Why? Because F major's got that one flat that makes you feel like you're hugging a panda or like winning at life. Now let's get real for a sec. National anthems are like the theme songs to our countries, right? Some are all pomp and pageantry, like you're about to enter the Hunger Games, and others are so chill they could be elevator music. But Majula Singapura in F major? That's like adding a dash of spice to your copio, giving it that extra oomph. And here's the kicker. You gotta sing it in Malay. But they've got cheat sheets in English, Mandarin, and Tamil. It's like Singapore saying, hey, we're inclusive, but also learn the lyrics, okay? So, in the spirit of Oreo One, let's all raise our kopi cups to Singapore for keeping it fresh. They took their anthem from That's Nice to That's Nice and made sure everyone's included in the national karaoke sesh. And remember, whether you're belting it out in F major or just humming along, it's all about that Lion City pride, baby. Now go forth and be melodious, my friends. Smithsonian Moss, out. Newsbang, poking holes in the balloon of lies. Time now for a quick spin around tomorrow's headlines. The Times. Taliban takes over Kabul Hotel in fierce gun battle. There's a long article there about it. The Telegraph. Millions fleeing East Prussia in Soviet red tide. There's a graphic there of a red tide. The Guardian stick with 
wash that world war out of my hair. And the independent lead, with Obama sworn in as first African-American president. That's the one that cost us seven pence to buy yesterday. That's it from me. On the day that floodwater destroyed an estimated 20,000 sheep and lambs on Dartmoor, South Devon, near the city of Plymouth, England. That story made today's late edition front-page newspaper news. Now go away. Tune in next time for more artificially intelligent hilarity. Newsbang is a comedy show written and recorded by AI. All voices impersonated. Nothing here is real. Good night.